It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Saturday, January 6th, 2024. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. President Biden gives his first campaign speech of the year with a reminder of today's date from three years ago. This event was originally planned for Saturday. It was supposed to be mm. on January 6th. Some uh, forecasted inclement weather uh, moved those plans up a little <laughs> bit. So, so that's why the president did this uh, on Friday. I'm Jared Halpern. Why wait until November? Major House races could have big implications for Republican control of the House early this year. This is the undercard, these House races uh, to the presidential, but it still will be a street brawl. This is the Fox News Rundown from Washington. President Biden has given his first campaign speech of this election year from the famous Revolutionary War site in Valley Forge, Pennsylvania. The entire nation watched in horror. The whole world watched in disbelief. And Trump did nothing. Members of his staff, members of his family, Republican leaders who were under attack at that very moment, pled with him. Act. Call off the mob. Imagine had he gone out and said, stop. And Monday, he continues setting the campaign tone with a visit to the Mother Emanuel AME Church in Charleston, South Carolina, where nine black congregants were killed back in 2015. Ahead of all this, the campaign released its first ad of the year entitled Cause. There's something dangerous happening in America. There's an extremist movement who does not share the basic beliefs in our democracy. All of us are being asked right now, what will we do to maintain our democracy? He narrates in the ad that history is watching, our children are judging, adding that he and Vice President Harris have been focused on voting rights since he became president. Well, it is tied in. It is definitely a speech in a venue that is uh, intended to coincide with the third anniversary uh, of the January 6th Capitol riot. Jared Halpern is Fox News Radio's Washington correspondent and political anchor. This event was originally planned for Saturday. It was supposed to be mm. on January 6th. Some uh, forecasted inclement weather uh, moved those plans up a little <laughs> bit. So, so that's why the president did this uh, on Friday uh, instead of Saturday. Uh, it also, Jess, I think signifies another big metric for the Biden campaign, right? This is the first event uh, of calendar year 2024. Uh, the re-election campaign says it is going to start moving uh, very quickly and, and have a lot of events early. They are going to be aggressive. And increasingly, they are running a campaign under the assumption that Donald Trump is going to be the Republican nominee. They are planning for and the events are intended um, to set up a potential rematch of 2020. Hmm. Yeah, that makes sense given the polling, right? And okay, so Monday, Jared, the president is speaking as part of this continuation, right, of the campaign launch at the Mother Emanuel AME Church in Charleston, right? That's where nine black parishioners were killed by a neo-Nazi eight years ago. Mm -hmm. um, this is another part of the campaign strategy, right? It's also tied in to highlight not just preserving democracy, but as part of that, racism and white supremacy. 
the Biden-Harris campaign says that, that this venue embodies the stakes of the 2024 election in this pivotal moment, um, that the rhetoric and the threats of white supremacy remain, have been heightened. Again, they tie a lot of this to the language that you hear from uh, former President Trump, from supporters. They are trying to draw this connection, and they are also um, trying to show um, how vulnerable uh communities of color are that that is one of the the other um i I think can't when you look at it from sort of the campaign strategy right south carolina probably not a swing state right Jess, probably not going to be in in that purple column uh come november but this is a speech that is being given uh at mother emmanuel ame church a historic black church in the south uh this weekend vice president harris spoke at a convention uh, of ame churches in myrtle beach south carolina this is intended uh, a campaign official says to um, ensure that the president and vice president are not taking the black vote for granted there have been a lot of democrats mm-hmm. uh, allies of the president uh, who are worried that his support um, amongst African-Americans is slipping. It was obviously a crucial uh, part of the coalition that he was able to build in 2020. Uh, it is part of a coalition that the campaign is going to need this year. And so look in the early days here of 2024 for the Biden-Harris campaign to pick these events that they think are going to sort of reset these constituencies that they need, whether it's the event in Pennsylvania intended, I think, to kind of show progressives and other maybe softer Democrats the stakes of the election going into the black communities to say we're not going to take this vote for granted later this month uh, to coincide with uh, the anniversary of the Roe v. Wade decision. The vice president is launching what is being called a reproductive rights tour. They are going to make abortion a big part of this campaign, again, an issue that was critical uh, for Democrats uh, in the midterms two years ago. Right. I mean, it, it became just a major issue. Um, in in states across the country, and it is expected to be a big issue again uh, this year. And it is an issue that Democrats believe that they can win on, and it is something that the president and vice president are certainly going to be talking about here uh, in the early part of this re-election campaign. And Jared, focusing on January 6th race, a deputy campaign spokesperson said, you know, whether it's white supremacists in Charlottesville, January 6th, or white supremacists murdering churchgoers nine years ago, America is, quote, worried about the rise in political violence. I imagine mm-hmm. Republicans paint that not only as maybe divisive, but also dwelling on the past. But is this the part of the campaign where you rally the base and anyway? And really, at the end of the day, the only people who are going to matter are swing state voters in the suburbs, right? Um, I mean, that's going to be a big part of it. Right. And, and, you know, the other thing that was said by uh, the uh, the deputy campaign manager was that he said Donald Trump posed the, the, the threat that Donald Trump posed in 2020 to American democracy has grown even more dangerous than when President Biden ran last time. So, again, really? they are not just linking this to the events of January 6th. They are tying the former president to the events of January 6th. Um, in a very direct way, in a way that they almost haven't 
up until this point. And again, I think that demonstrates that that the campaign is increasingly uh, preparing for a rematch and believes that the polling will change when it becomes more uh, of a race of mm-hmm. ideas. Right. Right. And didn't now, he say that, Jared? Didn't the president said or did somebody with the campaign well, say it, so, that he's confident that when presented with it this yeah. way, that he, despite the polls, that Americans will still end up siding with with Biden? Yes. And, and, you know, the president has been very critical of his predecessor, but he has picked and chosen those moments. He has, for instance, uh, saved some of his uh, most um, aggressive attack lines uh, for fu- at fundraisers. And it's notable, Jess, because I, I have covered these fundraisers. They're not recorded. Right. So reporters right. are in the room. We can write down what he says. So it's pen and pad. And so there is sort of a print version of what he said, but it's not on camera and you don't hear the president say it to hear him say it, you know, on a campaign stage in a much more direct way on camera, you know, at the podium with the lights. That is a much different venue and it is a much more biting attack. And I think that is what you're seeing now shift, right? The things that the president was saying, you know, with supporters and donors to kind of rally the base and and make sure that that people are are still committed to to the cause uh, is one thing. But then to say it in a much more public way, uh, this ad that was released uh, this weekend in a number of swing states by the Biden campaign, again, showing images of January 6th, running that ad in places like Georgia, in Arizona, in the Midwest, again, shows a much more aggressive line of attack that the president wants to contrast, that they believe that if this is a choice, a rematch of 2020, people that may not be in love with Biden policies are still going to be alarmed by a lot of, of what came with the, the Trump presidency. That That's yeah. the belief of, of a lot of Democrats and, and certainly the Biden campaign. And I think you're seeing that now manifest into this strategy uh, that's going to play out in the next couple of weeks. I was going to say, it seems like it, it's the emotional play, right? Yeah. This new ad, the, the president mentions in it the fate of democracy, but specifically voting rights. The number one issue to voters, at least in Fox polling in December, was the economy and then yeah. the border. It's beyond then... it's beyond Fox polling. Just, I think, right. <laughs> <laughs> but let, let but let me give a shout out to our own. No, absolutely. Okay. We do a fantastic job of it. <laughs> but even but then, terrible even terrible polls will tell you it's the economy. <laughs> but then it's the the border, right? That's yeah. shot up as a concern. And then it's guns. Voting rights was only like fourth and it's it's at eight mm-hmm. percent. So it is the thinking right now, um, to in your in this launch to to highlight something more emotional. And to, I guess, remind voters, look, we've been talking about Bidenomics. Let's focus mm-hmm. now on this relaunch on, you know, pulling at, pulling at some heartstrings here. Yeah, I think it's a good way to look at it, right? It's not either or, right? It's not as if they're going to talk about the fate yeah. of democracy in lieu of talking about the economy. I think you're going to see you know, a lot of economic speeches by the president. Uh, and some of those won't be campaign speeches, right? That the, the benefit of, of being the president is no matter where you speak, you've got a pretty captive audience and it's kind of a campaign speech, right? So he can go to these factories that are opening up in a very official capacity. I think what you are seeing right now is kind of, let's launch this with explaining uh, to voters what the stakes are. Right. That this is not an election just about policy disputes over energy or immigration or the economy, that there is much more at stake here. That is what the campaign is trying to do here, at least in the first part 
of yeah. 2024. Okay, just a couple more for you. Relying on Vice President Harris as a surrogate here, like you mm-hmm. said, she's going to be going to Wisconsin to talk about abortion. That probably seems natural to rely on your VP as a surrogate. But um, two points. Uh, given her poll numbers, they're lower than President Biden's. Um, is that smart? And is focusing on abortion, I guess, it, it, I guess it worked in 2022, right? It was so fresh. But will mm-hmm. it be different this time around? Not sure how different it'll be. Listen, there's still an awful lot of states that are are considering different types of um, abortion restrictions, right? You are still seeing that debate play out in an awful lot of state houses. It is going to be ballot issues in a number of states as well. So I do think that uh, it is an issue that Democrats believe uh, is important and needs to continue to be talked about, especially Uh, given that you never know how many Supreme Court justices a a president Mm -hmm. may be able to uh, nominate for the bench in a four-year period. Uh, You're right about the vice president, right? Uh, You know, when you look at polling kind of as a whole, her approval ratings are not great. It certainly isn't any higher from most polling I've seen than President Biden's. But that's when you kind of pick and choose the issues, right? She is somebody who has Mm -hmm. been out front, has been leading the administration's response Uh, specifically on abortion Um, among Democrats. She still has a lot of credibility on that issue. And so I think you're going to see uh, the vice president talk about that issue. It's also an issue, as you point out, that seems to be a little bit more natural for her um, than it has been uh, for President Biden. Not as if he's going to ignore it, uh, but sometimes the messenger matters. And I think they believe at this stage that you get a little bit more Um, you you get a better messenger uh, on that issue with the vice president maybe than you do the president. Okay, last, Jared, um, before Christmas, POTUS was asked about the economy in the coming year. He said, it's all good. Start reporting it the right way to that reporter (laughs) who asked. Um, And to that point... Wow, are... a politician didn't like the way that reporters were. <laughs> That's shocking. But but to but to that but to the to the point to the conversation. You know, there are some actual bright spots, right? The job market sure. is, is good. We get some new job numbers on on Friday. It, consumer confidence, though, is what caught me. There's been a big jump there, mm-hmm. and that that jump um, was also reflected in the University of Michigan's consumer index. That that caught a 14 percent increase in consumer confidence in December. Yeah. So after this whole conversation. Is it do do Republicans need to maybe worry going into this year if if the economy starts to shift? I think when you talk about economic uh, measurements, though, the only one that matters to voters is personal. Right. It's how do they feel uh, about their household financial situation? And oftentimes that is a lagging indicator. That is why right now there has been frustration from the Biden administration that they're not getting more credit for a lot of the gains that they're seeing in the economy. But they also believe uh, that views of the economy will change as perhaps voters become a little bit more uh, comfortable and confident in in their own uh, financial outlook. But again, the economic issue for voters is usually a deeply personal one. Fox News Radio's Jared Halpern, our political anchor and Washington correspondent. Thanks so much for joining. Thanks, Jess. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at BrianKilmeadeShow.com. It is officially an election year. 
Come November, we'll obviously have the race for the presidency, 33 Senate contests, and 435 House seats to be filled. Here's the good news. You don't need to wait until November. Several special elections are set for the first few months of this year to fill vacancies in the House. Former House Speaker Kevin McCarthy officially left Congress on New Year's Day. Ohio Republican Bill Johnson is resigning earlier than expected on January 21st. A New York Democrat, Brian Higgins, is leaving early, too, next month. That means in just a couple of weeks, with government funding, immigration proposals, and military aid to Ukraine and Israel still unresolved, the margin of error for both parties in the House will be extraordinarily slim. Republican membership will drop to just 219, giving House Speaker Mike Johnson just a three-seat majority, or put another way, he can afford only three GOP defections on any party-line vote. Those margins could move even more depending on those early special election results. That's why Fox News senior congressional correspondent Chad Pergram and I are starting the year not looking at November, but how some earlier contests could set the course for Congress. Special elections are always special. And sometimes weird things happen because you don't have the usual electorate showing up in February or March or April. Obviously, everybody's going to be very energized as they go to the polls in uh, in November. And, and the turnout there is going to be framed on basically the people who don't like former President Trump and the people who don't like President Biden, not so much the people are for these folks. So how that filters down ballots is going to be interesting. And usually in some of these special elections, and because we're going to have so many of them, you know, sometimes you might only have one or two, if any. That's really going to start to give us a sense of what the electorate is looking at. Are they looking at the economy? How much is a factor of, of President Biden and maybe his perceived weakness? The issue with the war in the Middle East? Uh, have they done anything on the border? Is that an issue? Or does some other issue arise that we've not mm -hmm. you know, spoken about? Like, say, you know, October 6th, nobody knew that the Middle East was going to be a problem. Well, and last week, you and I talked about how this Congress is one of the least productive Congresses we've had up to this point. How much of these special elections become referendums on Republican leadership, on Republican control of the House? That's something really to look at because that could be a factor. Uh, Democrats aren't going to run on, look what we've done or tried to do. It's like, look what they didn't do, you know, and because nobody has really a record of achievement in this. So what campaigns often do is test drive some of these messages and see which, you know, pieces of mud stick to the wall and seem to work. Now, sometimes that proves to be effective down the road, we'll see. And the same message might not resonate in the same districts as other places. But I'll tell you what, these two special elections, the big ones that you alluded to here with New York, the Santos seat on mm -hmm. Long Island and California, control of the House in 2022 was decided in New York and California. That's right. Control of the House in 2024 is going to be decided in New York and California. And here's why. There were districts that were drawn by Democrats at the outset of 2022, which were ruled uh, to be inappropriate and were thrown out. And a special master was brought in to put these maps together. Democrats control the redistricting process. But once this was kicked to the special master, they didn't have control. Guess what? Republicans picked up five seats. Now, these are different lines here now. Mm -hmm. And you're still running in this other, you know, district here, George Santos. That was represented by Tom Swazi, a Democrat who's back on the ballot. Back on again. the ballot, yeah. 
you know, it had been represented by Steve Israel, who had chaired the, the DCCC, which is the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee in charge of getting Democrats elected to the House. Uh, so that's a, a true swing district, it's probably one of the swingiest one, ones in the country to start with, even though Santos, you know, flipped the district and did so substantially. But there are these 18 Biden districts. So New York is one place to watch, and that's a place to really look at that message, those exurbs, suburbs, which is kind of that district uh, on Long Island. The Kevin McCarthy seat in California is different. That is a Republican That's a pretty seat. red district, yeah. Right, exactly. But you don't know who's going to show up sometimes to the ballot. And that's where we've seen these accidents. Well, sometimes. and California has a unique system yes. anyway where everybody runs and then people advance. And so you can have a situation where you have a bunch of people from one party, and we've seen this play out before, kind of cancel each other's votes out. And, and then you have an outlier from the other party, the minority party, that, that kind of is a top vote getter. Exactly. And that's why I say these elections are special. I remember some years ago, we had a, uh, a special election in Louisiana. Mm-hmm. And it turned out that the, the Democrat flipped that seat and it looked like, oh, it was going to be a Democratic year. This was in like 2008, 2009. Well, you know what happened in 2010. That was, you know, probably probably <laughs> the, the shellacking is uh, President the, Obama Democrats called it at the time. 63 <laughs> seats, the biggest <laughs> flip here. But, but what you're going to start to see also are probably some other members announce their retirement and and leave early Mm -hmm. and thus trigger some of these special elections. Remember, and this is very important, you cannot be appointed to the House. You can be appointed to the Senate, not the House. Let's look at the math. With Kevin McCarthy out the door, okay, and you're going to have Brian Higgins, Democrat from Western New York, and Bill Johnson, Republican from Eastern Ohio, they're going to leave. So that's going to cancel each other out, you know, and those Mm -hmm. districts will probably... Probably safe districts yeah, for those parties. Yeah. I would say maybe there's a little bit of a chance maybe with the Higgins for an, you know, a, an upset there, but you never know. And maybe even Johnson. I mean, you get in some, you know, some you know, turf up toward the northern part of that district, maybe, maybe not, but I tend to doubt it. I mean, that's pretty Trump district there. Yeah. So right now, uh, you know, once with, with – let's just, you know, say Santos is gone, McCarthy has gone, 433 members, 220 Republicans, 213 Democrats. So Republicans have a margin of three. They can lose three votes because mm. it's a difference of seven. Okay. So a lot of people have said to me, well, Chad, could the House flip in the middle of the Congress? That has never happened in the middle of a Congress. We've had the Senate flip, but that's where I'm saying, let's say Higgins. Some other things have never happened in the Congress. Yeah, yes, but let's say Higgins. But, but I just want to yeah. run people through yeah. how mathematically challenging this is because you go down, say, then to 219 Republicans and 212 Democrats. So it's still a margin of seven. They don't leave the exact same day. We will have a special election for the McCarthy seat. Mm-hmm. You know, that comes pretty, pretty quickly here. You know, the same thing with New York. You know, so you start to add some of these back in. So so to get, you know, so to actually have it flip, you know, to have seven seats go from mm-hmm. one, that's because that's the difference. That's highly unlikely. But what it might do is make the margin just that much slimmer for Democrats to flip control of the House mm-hmm. in November, right? Exactly. and but Especially as we talk about some of the redistricting that's underway in New York, where they're again redrawing those boundaries in a way that may benefit Democrats yes. in a way that it benefited Republicans last time around. Yes, I, I talked to, you know, Nicole Maliotakis yeah. from Staten Island, uh, very pleased with the district that she had <laughs> sure. before, not so not much so now. Not so pleased now. <laughs> said this is a power grab by the left-wing Democrats, is what she said. Okay, I get it. You're absolutely right. But you have some other factors afoot here where you really have to go. And when you look at the House and evaluate the House, you have to look district to district to district. And there are actually so few seats that are genuinely in play. It's really hard Mm -hmm. to read, you know, in North Carolina, because the way they redrew the lines there, you have somebody like Wiley Nickel. 
Democratic freshman who's not running for his seat at all. He's going to run for something else, maybe Senate, you know, down the line here. So, you know, you can't just look and say, oh, okay, they picked up this many seats in in, in New York or California. What did they do in in North Carolina? Well, maybe they that's a, a you know, in the net, that's a loss uh, for the Democrats. So that's why it's so hard. And, you know, something else is going to be very, very interesting to watch is how the Democrats perform in the upper Midwest. Hmm. Um, Marcy Kaptur, uh, who has been in the House since 1983, first election was 1982, the most longest tenured Republican woman ever in the House. Another tough race for her, but there's a reason why you get to be the longest tenured woman in the House, because you're Marcy Kaptur and you're pretty good at beating. People thought she was... She was in a really tough reelect yes. last cycle. Yeah, yeah. And so the same thing might happen this time around, you know, running against a, a pro-Trump candidate. Uh, but those so-called districts in, uh, you know, what some would call the Rust Belt. I know Sherrod Brown mm-hmm. doesn't like us to use that term anymore, the Democratic Center from Ohio. But that area up there, uh, some of the seats in Michigan, uh, Frank Mervan, a Democrat in uh, northwestern mm-hmm. Indiana. That's a district I'd look at. Maybe Wisconsin, certainly Illinois in some places. You know, but the Democrats don't have any staying power when you look at can they can they flip seats in the in the South? You know, they used to have a handful of these. They haven't done that. Lauren Boebert is now running for what is probably going to be a Republican seat, switch districts. You know, that was that turned out to be the closest the race. Closest race last yeah. year. Yeah. Like and, and, 600 or 700 votes. Yeah, yeah. And it's a rematch. And it would be very hard and for her. The Democrat in that race has Frisch, been yes. raising just scabs of money. Of money. Yes. So, you know, that's a district that the Democrats might be able to flip. But that's where you have to look and say, OK, they picked up one here. Do they lose two here? But if you bank a few in California or New York, yeah. then you're. So let me ask this about the the special elections and kind of how these play out. One of the the things that I had heard from some Republicans who, who really did not want to see Kevin McCarthy go is they said, listen, his campaign war chest is so big. He gives us an advantage in fundraising across the board. Can Mike Johnson make that up? And how out there do you expect Mike Johnson to be? Because these races, as you know, sometimes, I mean, every single Republican in the country ran against Nancy Pelosi. She was on the ballot in every single House race when she was Speaker of the House and, and the Democratic leader. Um, Kevin McCarthy was on the ballot in a lot of places outside of California. Is Mike Johnson? He is, but because he is still such an unknown quantity, the, the Democrats are, I don't want to say struggling to define him. Um, you know, they're coming after this Christian conservatism yeah. and, and biblical-based legislating, which is something he seems to be known for. So that's something that's that's playing into this. That may or may not have much resonance. We just don't know yet. He's still kind of unknown. In terms of making up the money, uh, that's going to be hard for Mike Johnson to start with. I mean, even if he turns out to be an ATM eventually— that's going to be an issue. And sometimes money doesn't matter in this because, again, people are voting in a presidential election. You know, And we've seen this happen repeatedly in the Senate where you've had Democratic candidates you know, raise just mountains of money you know, in South Carolina and Kentucky and then not come right. even with Maine within striking distance right. of Mitch McConnell and Susan Collins and Lindsey Graham. And so yeah. sometimes that money in, a, in another universe, uh, that used to be kind of the money yeah. would dictate – stuff. It doesn't do so as much anymore. 
So that's going to be a challenge. But I think Republicans were genuinely worried about what that meant with the departure of Kevin McCarthy. Do you expect Kevin McCarthy to play much of a role in uh, some of these uh, special elections or, or even in November as we get into uh, the, the, the main event? Yes. I mean, I mean, he has suggested that he would go and maybe campaign for certain people. But the, the thing to watch with <laughs> Kevin McCarthy is who he's going to I know go, eight people who he's not going to campaign. He's going to campaign against. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, like, like, like he wakes up every morning and has a little tablet next to his, his nightstand that says, I hate Nancy Mace or something. I don't know. No, I'm joking about that. Well, but listen, I, 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 but but that's every, not, every single one of those eight could face primary challenges. Yes. And that war chest that we talked about with Kevin McCarthy does not empty out when he just doesn't run for re-election, right? Exactly. That is money that can still be spent in races. Yeah. Yes, and and Kevin McCarthy has intimated that maybe those types of members, and certainly Nancy Mace, you know, anything I, you know, you said there is pretty much accurate. Because, you know, the level of antipathy yeah. that he seems to have for her, calling her out repeatedly yeah. by name about how he believes that she was double dealing and he tried to help her, et cetera. I mean, there is no love lost between the two. I mean, he I remember at his press conference later the day that he was, you know, removed from the speakership, um, he, he described her. He, he was talking about some of the others and he said something about Matt Gates and this. And he said, Nancy Mace, he said, that's another case. Mm. And, and then proceeded to talk about what he had done for Nancy Mace and how they kind of threw her under the bus, threw him under the bus. Well, it's always election season somewhere, and, and certainly these special elections are going to give us an early preview of what's to come. So, Chad, appreciate our first chat of the 2024 campaign. Yes, indeed. And keep in mind, this is the undercard, these House races uh, to the presidential, but it still will be a street brawl. Tomorrow on the Fox News Rundown from Washington, one week away from the Iowa caucuses, Jessica Rosenthal chats with the state's Republican Party chairman on the home stretch for candidates and preparations underway to ensure a quick and accurate count. And last year, the U.S. produced more oil than ever. It's helping keep gas prices down. But what can we expect for energy prices in the year ahead? We'll talk about it. Until then, thanks for listening. I'm Jared Halpern. This is the Fox News Rundown from Washington. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts.